0: Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that as we look now at your word, we might come to understand something more of your love for us. We pray that we might be challenged to respond rightly by loving you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Does God love me? This week I typed those words into Google, the source of all knowledge. Does God love me? Here's what I read. This is by Anna. I wish I could say that I believe in Jesus Christ, that he loves me and cares, but I no longer believe that. From a mother who is vicious and has wrecked my adoptive family to the death of my adoptive brother, I no longer believe. If God loved or cared for me, he'd at least help, wouldn't he? But no help has come. Why? God doesn't love me. Well, this one. This one is anonymous. I have a chronic illness. Lost four children and a husband, of which the second wife took all my court awarded earnings. I recently lost my son after 24 years raising a special needs kid. At my young age, I've had over 200 mild heart attacks, four major heart attacks and heart surgery. Then went bankrupt, had to quit medical school because of finances, then my father had cancer and chemo again. Then my mother was injured and I had to be taken care of them. Almost lost my house and I'm down to 90 pounds. I volunteer at a soup kitchen because they offer leftovers when they have them. I can't get a job because I'm over-educated. God doesn't love me. If God wants me, he must want me dead. Life can be hard, can't it? Goodness. And, and for many people, when it is tough... It makes them wonder, if, if God loves me, why is it like this? If God loves me, why is life so painful? Maybe this is something you've experienced yourself. Terrible things happened. You prayed about it. No answer. And you wondered... Does God love me? I mean, I don't see much evidence. I I try hard to serve him and this is what I get, these terrible things, no answers to my prayers. Does God love me? Maybe you're experiencing it right now. For some reason you are doubting the love of God. Well, at the time of Malachi, Israel were doing it tough. Their life was hard. They were just barely managing to survive. And it was making them doubt whether God loved them. Malachi's writing in around about the year 430 BC, 430 BC. Now you may remember um, just about 150 years before that, 586 BC, a really terrible thing happened. The, the nation of Judah, the Jewish people, were defeated by the Babylonian Empire and taken into exile. It's 586 BC. Uh, but then in 539 BC... Some of the Jews were allowed to return to their land. They rebuilt their temple. They rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. It was an amazing restoration, historically unprecedented. And you can read about it in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible. This amazing restoration had happened, but still things were tough. Let me read how one commentator puts it. In the beginning, the return was regarded as a miracle from God. Zerubbabel would be the Messiah. The rebuilding of the second temple and the renewal of the sacrifices caused the people to rejoice. The people had reconfirmed their covenant with God. But the later course of events had been disappointing. The Messianic age hadn't arrived. The people were still subject to Persian rule. The promised land didn't become a paradise, but instead crops failed due to locusts and drought. Religious activities were expensive and becoming burdensome, and they didn't seem to have any effect. Decades passed. By the time of Malachi, more than 100 years have passed since the Jews came back to their land. Still no change. There's still just this tiny outpost in the massive Persian Empire, they're still struggling to eke out an existent God's great promises that they thought were being fulfilled in the return just seem so small and things are so hard and, and they're wondering does God really love us? They're struggling to trust him, they're doubting him and with doubts like that it's hard for them to, to, to keep up enthusiasm and seriousness about their religion, the, the, their temple, their priests, their Levites expensive expensive stuff, offering animal sacrifices, costly, costly. And none of it seems to make any difference. Everything seems to be going just the same. doesn't seem to be worth it. Do you get the picture? As Malachi speaks, the Jews are back in their land, back in the promised land. The temple is rebuilt, but life is hard. And they're wondering, does God really love us? Is he a God who keeps his promises? They're wondering, is it worth worshipping this God? Is it worth keeping the temple going? Well, let's have a look at the book itself. It starts off. Malachi starts off with an amazing claim. Malachi says that he is writing God's word. He says God is speaking to Israel through him. Have a look at Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1 an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. God is speaking to Israel and here's what he has to say. He says, I do love you. Verse 2, I have loved you says the Lord. God says he has loved Israel. He's shown them his love. But Israel, they can't see how. Here they are struggling to survive. Slaves of the Persians sure doesn't feel like God loves them. And they say so, verse 2 again. But you ask, how have you loved us? Israel are doubting God's love. And so God tells them how he's loved them. He tells them by comparing them to their near neighbor, to the nation of Edom. Now, historically, the nation of Edom and the nation of Israel or Judah, they, they're distantly related. If you go way, way back in history, some 1500 years or something like that, you'll find uh, that uh, the, the forefather of Edom, a guy by the name of Esau, and the forefather of Israel, a guy by the name of Jacob, they were actually brothers. They were twin brothers. The thing is, God says, way back then, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. You see, what happened is there were some promises, promises to Abraham and to Isaac. Jacob and Esau were brothers, but God gave those promises to Jacob and not to Esau. He hated Esau in the sense that he preferred Jacob over him. That happened hundreds and hundreds of years before, but now Malachi is saying it's happening again. God is loving Jacob, loving Israel, loving the Jews, but he's hating Edom. How is he doing that? Well, Israel are back in their land. Israel have been restored. Israel are alive. Israel are still a people. God is still giving them life and everything. But he says, Edom will never return. Edom will be wiped out completely. Verse 2 again. How have you loved us? Was not Esau, Jacob's brother? The Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated And I've turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You'll see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. How can Israel know God loves them? By the fact that they still exist. By the fact that God hasn't totally destroyed them like they deserve. By the fact that God hasn't completely eliminated them like he's doing with Edom. By the fact that God is still giving them life and breath and land and food and everything else they have. God does love Israel. He's loved it by patiently allowing them to continue to exist, by patiently giving them everything. God does love Israel. But the thing is this, Israel don't love God. God goes on to say that Israel haven't honoured him, that they've treated him with contempt. Verse 6, a son honours his father and a servant his master If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Again, Israel don't believe it, Uh, believe how they've showed contempt. And so God tells them how they've dishonored him. He says you're bringing flawed animals for sacrifice. God was perfectly clear in his Old Testament law. He says you want to bring a sacrifice to me, you get your best animal. You bring your best to me. You don't bring me your dregs, you bring me your best, but in direct defiance of God's law, Israel are offering flawed sacrifices, crippled, blind animals. God says, You wouldn't do it to your Persian masters, yet you think you can do it to me. The end of verse 6. But you ask, How have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, How have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. God says, you give me your dregs. And then you think you get, I'm gonna be gracious to you. Then you come, oh God, please be gracious to us. He says, I'd rather you close the temple altogether. He said, oh, For me, I say, close the temple, just go down the pub. Because your your worship, it just makes me angrier. Verse 9. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. God goes on to say, he says, I am a great king and the whole world is going to worship me. The day is coming when... Everybody in the entire world will acknowledge that I am a magnificent king and yet you, Israel, my so-called people, think you can give me your dregs as if I am nothing. Verse 11. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it. By saying of the Lord's table it is defiled and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured or crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. God now turns to the priests and he says, you won't honor me, I'm going to curse you. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the awful from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And God then says, says, look, I want to keep my promises to you. I would love to maintain the covenant that I've made with you priests. I'd love to keep the agreement going. But that means you priests, you've got to change. You've got to be like your forefathers, like Levi and Phineas and Aaron. You've got to be like those first priests who gave me some respect, who taught the people to give me some respect. God says, you priests, you need to teach the people to turn from sin and honor me. Verse 4. And you'll know that I've sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty. The priests must teach God's people to honor him but the priests in Malachi's day weren't doing their job. They weren't teaching the people to obey God's law. They were offering these flawed sacrifices for the people leading the people to dishonor and despise God (laughs) And so God says, I'm making you be despised. Verse 8. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. All right, can you see what's here in this first section of Malachi? God says to Israel, I have loved you. Israel says, could have fooled us. God says, I have loved you by the fact that I haven't totally wiped you out. You're back in your land, still a people. God does love Israel. The problem is, the real problem is, they don't love him. They treat him with contempt. They offer him Flawed animals in sacrifice, they give him their dregs. God says it cannot, it will not go on. If it keeps up, I'm going to curse you. I have to say, um, this section of Malachi, it, it, it quite reminds me of trying to argue with my wife. <laughs> um, <clears throat> <Telling her. laughs> I'll, be, I'll be grumpy about something something really important, like I get home late at night and the dishes aren't washed. so I'm, I'm stomping around the kitchen, filling the dishwasher, smash, 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 smash. And it comes in and says, I love you. And I'll say, how can you say you love me? You haven't done the dishes. <laughs> then comes the response. How can I say I love you? Well, there's the fact that I've spent 20 years cooking for you. 20 years cleaning for you. 20 years washing your smelly clothes. 20 years looking after your grotty children. 20 years doing your shopping. 20 years serving in your church. 20 years sleeping in your bed despite your snoring. Does that not give you a clue? Is that not evidence of love? But that's just the start. (laughs) Then comes the counter-attack. Oh, and by the way, Uh, Today you forgot to pick up the children like you said you were going to do and and you didn't put the garbage out, smells out the front there. And last week, uh, did you realise that you booked a speaking engagement on our 20th wedding anniversary? That is actually true, I'm sorry to say. Um, And it's been, what, 10 years now since you bought me any flowers and, oh, by the way, yesterday was my birthday and uh, you forgot about it, didn't you? And I sat in the restaurant by myself for two hours waiting for you to show up and, and shall I go on? Because I'm not convinced that I'm the one failing to show love in this relationship slightly exaggerated (laughs) I think anyway (laughs) here Israel whinging about how God doesn't love them that's not the real story God does love them the real story is completely the other way around the real story is they have no respect for God they treat him with contempt Uh, It also reminds me of this thing that uh, was written by a mum, a mother. My son and I were cuddled up on the bed, having one of those rare, quiet moments where he just wanted personal attention and was holding still long enough for me to talk with him. I told him, Do you know how much mummy loves you? How much? He asked. I love you as high as the sky and as deep as the ocean, I told him. Well, I love you, he started to say, trying to think of something to compare it with, as deep as the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Malachi is saying here, isn't it? God does love his people. As, as high as the sky, as, as deep as the ocean. The problem is they love him about as deep as the toilet. Well, friends, what do we do with this passage? How does it apply to us? We know even more clearly that God loves us, don't we? It's not just that we're alive, although that's that's love enough. It's not just that he sends the rain and the sun. It's not just that he gives us every breath that we take. It's not just that he gives us everything we have on your outline from Romans chapter 5, our second reading. You see where I am now on the right-hand side there near the top. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it doesn't matter how tough life gets, it doesn't matter how good or bad our external circumstances are. This is the eternal, the unshakable demonstration of God's love, despite our sin. God has loved us so much as to give his one and only son for us. Despite our sin, God has loved us so much as to come in the person of Jesus and bear our sin upon himself so that we don't have to perish like we deserve so that we can have eternal life. Now listen to this testimony. It's from a man called Jerry Wells. I am 57 years old. My mother died when I was three. My father was an alcoholic. I had three different stepmothers by the time I was 15 years old. I was sexually molested when I was eight by a stepsister. All I ever wanted when I was growing up was to have a good family. I married when I was 22. My wife and I had eight children. We raised our children to follow Jesus. And yet several of them have rejected what we taught them. My wife died from ovarian cancer five years ago. My dream for my family has been shattered. The grief has been so painful. It is so hard to believe that God loves you when all your dreams are shattered and you suffer from chronic emotional pain. This morning, I will share the love of God with about 200 people that will gather to hear me teach God's word. I am a pastor and have been one at the same church for over 28 years. The basis for my trust in God is not what he has done for me lately. The basis for my trust is what he did to save me from my sin. Understanding what we deserve because of our sin and understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross to save us from our sin is the reason anyone who suffers should believe that God loves them. His grace is amazing. He did not give us what we deserve. He's prepared a place for us with him where there will be no more suffering. These truths are the anchor of our faith in the midst of the storms of life. Of course God loves us. We can't deny that as Christians, can we? can't deny that no matter what the circumstances he's proved his love as high as the sky as deep as the ocean the problem is not God's love for us the real problem is this like Israel here in Malachi we love God about as deep as the toilet of course we're not in the same position as israel we don't offer sacrifices flawed or otherwise jesus has offered the perfect sacrifice for us we are accepted by god through the perfect sacrifice of jesus but yet god calls us to respond doesn't he he calls us to love him on your outline from romans chapter 12 can you see there towards the towards the end there therefore i urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's what God wants. He wants in view of his extraordinary love to us that we would see that and we would just say, I'm yours. Take me. I, I, I give you every, give me my entire life. How, how can I give you any less than that? I was very struck um, reading the Bible this week with my children. We looked together at John chapter 21. You remember John chapter 21? Peter has just... The Apostle Peter, he's just three times denied that he even knows Jesus. And Jesus has gone and died on the cross by himself. He's risen again. And then Peter sees Jesus again and comes swimming. and, and, uh, And Jesus says to him, Peter, three times he says it, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? then feed my sheep friends God's loved us that's not the issue no matter how tough it may be he's proved that Uh, no matter what happens there's nothing that can separate us from God's love God has loved us the question is do we love him do we offer our lives to him where does he fit is, is prayer or worship, is loving God, is it the very last thing on our agenda after we've spent our whole lives pleasing ourselves? Do we always, we always do a good job for work, but if we're serving God or serving in church, well, we're just volunteers. Do we offer God our dregs? Do we offer God our leftovers? Are we like Israel here in Malachi, offering him that which we just don't even want for ourselves? Friends, can you see how the tables are turned here? We we point the finger at God. Meanwhile, three fingers are pointing straight back at us. God's love is indisputable. The question is, do we love him? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you for your magnificent, extraordinary, eternal indisputable love shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ we thank you that while we were your enemies while we were helpless powerless while we were sinners you loved us and gave Jesus to die for us that we might be forgiven and reconciled to you father your love is extraordinary and wonderful we pray that you'll help us to to know that love and that you help us to respond to that love by loving you Please help us in this by the power of your Spirit. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen.